Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis goes for round three against Disney. Florida's congressional delegation spurns DeSantis for Trump. And the Florida legislature expands a new law banning the teaching of LGBTQ topics through the 12th grade. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Y'all know what that music means. It's time for some numbers. John, you got a number for us today? Zach, I sure do. I have a number this week, and hey, it's number one. All right, number one. How about you, Antonio? I'm coming in with a 49. 49, and I am high this week with a 100. Remember those numbers, folks. I'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis' feud with Disney was back in the spotlight this week after the governor unveiled legislation aimed at unraveling a development deal the company pushed through to bypass state oversight of its properties in Central Florida. DeSantis didn't stop there, though. He talked about doing a bunch of other things Disney might not like, including building a prison next to Disney World. John, the governor's obsession with getting the upper hand against Disney is pretty remarkable. A prison next to Disney World? Oh, I know. Yeah, if you think the price of Disney hotels is too high, Zach, DeSantis World might have a state prison cot for you next door, where uh, you'd probably have a real character breakfast. But, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, DeSantis is desperate to come out as a winner in this, uh, you know, more than a year-long fight with the mouse. And while he uh, he he dodged a protracted lawsuit earlier this year when the the board of the special taxing district that includes Walt Disney World it quietly approved a development agreement that allowed Disney to keep control of its property. Um, this time around, uh, if what passes uh, that the governor is promoting, I, I think a lengthy court battle is likely to follow uh, you know, this this latest attempt uh, by the governor to save face. Uh, the, the governor is getting the always compliant Republican legislature to uh, go along with the latest scheme, just as he did a couple of months ago with his first swipe at Disney, when he appointed his own board members to the Reedy Creek Improvement District, the uh, the taxing district that was created in 1967 to give Disney self-governing authority over its 25,000 acres in Central Florida. Now, now that outgoing board signed over a development agreement without DeSantis knowing it. And now DeSantis allies in the legislature are screaming about how illegal that action was. And the newly named board of uh, which includes all DeSantis appointees, and it's now named uh, the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. uh, Well, that new board is also trying to negate that uh, development agreement. Um, You know, the legislature now has come up with an amendment to a land use bill in both the House and Senate. Uh, that that would give the new DeSantis board the authority to undo the agreement that gives Disney control of its property. 
And uh, DeSantis, uh, you know, was earlier this week hinting that this action was to come. He he went to just outside Disney World this week to talk about all the things that he could put on Disney property, a state park, maybe another theme park. And uh, yeah, you know, as, as you pointed out, Zach, maybe even a state prison he threw out there. So, um, you know, for those who like DeSantis, uh, they're going to like this chest thumping. But for many, the DeSantis Disney clash has kind of gotten old. And, uh, you know, remember, it all began when Disney officials criticized the governor's parental rights legislation last year, which got branded by opponents as don't say gay because it prohibited discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in lower grades. Uh, The Board of Education this week expanded that prohibition through 12th grade. And uh, while there's opposition, it it seems like the don't say gay campaign seems to be fading a little bit in history. Uh, Floridians are apparently becoming numb to this DeSantis heavy handed leadership. Uh, But the governor needs to have the last word with Disney. So we're back scrapping over this during the closing weeks of the legislative session. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, the governor is being roasted by former President Trump over getting outsmarted by Disney. And uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has said that it it really shows that DeSantis doesn't have the chops to be a leader. You know, kind of, kind of wondering whether what, what would he be like going up against Vladimir Putin if Mickey Mouse could pull a fast one on him, says Christie. So, and- uh, you know. Here we are, lashing out at the company, the, the governor again, uh, and Christie is wondering if DeSantis is really a conservative by his actions. And John, um, some people are kind of like comparing the governor to uh, Ahab from Moby Dick, saying <laughs> that Disney has sort of his white whale and he's become just kind of obsessed with getting the upper hand here. You mentioned that it might be wearing a little bit thin that some people are kind of tired of it. There's been some reporting that maybe even some Republicans in the legislature are kind of like, Oh, here we go again. We got to go and do another bill on Disney. They're going to pass this, right? I mean, there's no question about that, but maybe not everybody's completely happy that they're spending time on this, huh? Yeah. I mean, right now the the public face of Republican legislators remains complete loyalty. And also, you know, know, they're kind of talking about how this change they're looking to make will affect all special districts. And it's basically uh, aimed at making sure that the outgoing board of a district doesn't do something that the incoming board uh, opposes. Uh, you know, they're, they're putting it in very reasonable, good governance terms, but we all know what it's all about. And it's all about, you know, DeSantis needs a win right now. And it looks like the legislature will, again, give him an apparent one over Disney. But, you know, we've seen this movie before. Disney is great at sequels. So, you know, maybe watch for some more magic to emerge from the company before the credits roll on this session. <laughs> and Antonio, uh, John mentioned even even Trump weighed in on this Disney dispute this week. Yeah, he did. He uh, by predicting Florida carnage. Look, it was a kind of a politically deft fine line the former president took. He didn't side with Disney's tolerant embrace of diversity and inclusion, but instead he warned of economic catastrophe of Disney first cuts its investments, second, whittled its holdings in Florida, and third, leaves the state. Watch, that could be a killer. That's what Trump posted on True Social. It could, but it won't, because the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, Disney is not going anywhere despite Trump's dystopian vision of uh, of Disney-less Florida. You know, Zach, you've reported that Disney plans to invest 
about what, $17 billion in Florida over the next decade and create 13,000 more jobs, which I think speaks to the, the mouse's strategy here. Remember, like John just said, this dispute just began over an email the CEO, uh, the former CEO of Disney issued to his employees, to the company's employees in Florida, after this, the so-called don't, don't say gay bill got passed. Uh, that's it. That, that's what sparked DeSantis's ire. So Disney can play the long game. They've been in Florida for 51 years. That's longer than DeSantis has even been alive. And they're going to outlast his governorship. That's the Disney CEO Bob Iger's strategy. And, and let me just say two things about that. You know, Iger told Time Magazine last week that he'd be willing to sit down and discuss a resolution with DeSantis. And, and maybe the governor took that as a sign of weakness. The thing is that when a corporate CEO says something like that in a dispute with a political figure, they really aren't talking to the political figure. They're really talking to the public and particularly the investment community. It's their way of saying, hey, there's really nothing here. There's nothing structural about our business. There's nothing fundamental that they're going to, be, they're going to change about our business. It's just a political dispute. So stick with us because we will prevail in the end. That's really what Iger's message was. Now, Disney stock really hasn't been impacted, and it shouldn't. You know, this is a global entertainment conglomerate with interests far from Florida, and they're not going to lose their focus. And remember last week how I said this fight with Disney was a mistake for DeSantis because there was no point in him fighting a high-profile, high-stakes, two-front war against both Disney and Trump at the same time? Well, folks, Trump has been hammering DeSantis mercilessly with the putting finger attack ad and with poll numbers and with endorsements from Florida congressional representatives and even on issues like Ukraine and senior entitlements. And now, gentlemen, Trump is pounding DeSantis on Disney, too. So, Governor, we kind of told you so. And, and I think the danger for DeSantis is, um, as John mentioned, that people just get sort of tired of this. Like, oh, we're, we're talking about Disney again. Well, what's going on here? Aren't there other important issues uh, in the state? Uh, you know, if uh, Disney continues to fight this, as, as they will, I mean, this is their business. I mean, how many times is the governor going to have to come back and, uh, you know, craft legislation or do other things to try and prove that he got the better of them. And it looks like, uh, very interestingly, that Disney uh, is taking a more aggressive approach uh, this time. You know, with the former CEO, they kind of backed down. They were quiet. They didn't say much as DeSantis pushed through some of these punishments. With uh, Iger, he seems to be a little bit more combative. And uh, Disney, uh, after DeSantis's press conference this week announcing this legislation, they tweeted out that they're having an LGBTQ event uh, coming up. You know, it was a very pointed, uh, you know, note that they're not going to back away from their support for these groups. Uh, so it, it does seem like they're taking a more aggressive approach. And um, is that something that Dan DeSantis really wants is to continue to brawl with uh, one of the largest employers in his state uh, as he gets into a, a presidential bid? Maybe it does help him with you know, uh, his base, maybe maybe they're happy to see him continuing to take the fight to so-called woke corporations, but uh, it does seem like it might get old after a while for some people. But while DeSantis battles Disney, Trump is putting DeSantis on the defensive in his home state. Florida's GOP congressional delegation is rushing to back Trump with four issuing endorsements just this week, bringing the total number of Florida Republicans in Congress who are endorsing Trump to eight. And two more told Time Magazine they plan to endorse Trump soon. Antonio, 
Endorsements don't decide elections, but they can create a narrative of who has momentum and support. And these endorsements do seem uh, especially significant for Trump because they help him undercut DeSantis on his home turf. Yeah, you're right, Zach. And quite frankly, the narrative is that this whole endorsement thing this week has just been a debacle for the governor. First, he came away from Washington pretty much empty handed while, as you mentioned, being embarrassed as Trump you know, basically touted a handful or so of, of endorsements just this week from Florida Republican congressmen. Even worse than Zach was the split screen, because while DeSantis was in D.C. getting who knows what, South Florida continued to suffer from last week's freak rainstorm. This week, it was massive gas shortages across the region with cards 50, 60 lined up just to try to find gas in the one in those stations that did. And where was the governor? Well, First, he was out of state hawking his book last week when the worst of the flooding took place, and then politicking in Washington this week as South Floridians fumed in post-hurricane-like gasoline lines. Overall, gentlemen, it's just been a terrible look here. Uh, And and I would note, as as pollster Mike Binder told us uh, last week, in a case where two fave sons are in a race against each other, winning the home state is critical. Binder pointed out how, for example, in 2016, Marco Rubio's shattering loss to Trump in the Florida presidential primary was the end of his White House aspirations. Yeah, I remember that. You know, I remember covering that. I mean, this was really considered his last stand, Rubio, here in Florida. You know, if you can't win your home state, you're pretty much done. Yeah, and it went down like Custer's last stand because he got routed by Trump and that was the end of his campaign. Look, and we wrote about we wrote this week about how Trump really wants to show up DeSantis in Florida and show everyone that he is the alpha Republican political in the Sunshine State. So he waved the poll by Victory Insights showing that he has an ample lead over the governor in in terms of uh, popularity, and he has been brandishing those congressional endorsements. It looks like indeed he has about about half the Florida GOP congressional delegation locked up already. And the governor, well, he came across as neglecting the state's largest regional constituency, South Florida, amid a crisis. And then one last thing about these endorsements, namely both Trump and DeSantis, as John just spoke about, you know, they both seem to have a very vindictive streak in them. And these endorsements may not only speak to who these political figures support, but maybe who they fear the most. And when it comes to Trump, if he, people fear him more than the governor, then that's really another bad sign for DeSantis in all of this. Yeah, and, and it, it plays into the narrative, Antonio, that DeSantis, uh, his political skills might be lacking to some degree when it comes to that sort of interpersonal politicking where you're making sure to to sort of uh, you know reach out to people and include them and, and maintain those relationships. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's cultivated those relationships with some of the people in the state who uh, have the highest profile and the most influence, um, or, or at least not enough to overcome their uh, connection with Trump. It was very interesting. Greg Stubbe, a congressman from over here in Sarasota, made some comments this week where he was saying that DeSantis hasn't called him in the five years that Stubbe has been in Congress. He has never heard from DeSantis until his team reached out recently to talk about his endorsement, which is pretty remarkable. You know, you go five years without ever hearing 
um, from the governor and then his team calls to ask uh, for your endorsement. I mean, how do you expect somebody to endorse you if you, if, if you have no real relationship um, with them? And uh, he, he really seemed to be twisting the knife a little bit and bitter about it. He talked about how there was an event, a Hurricane Ian event uh, to talk about some of the damage from Ian. And it was in Stubbe's district. And the governor's team initially said that he would be included in this press conference with DeSantis. But then uh, when he got there, uh, he wasn't included. Uh, just, just It seemed like he really felt slighted by the governor, actually. And Stubbe recently was injured while he was trimming some trees on his property. He had a really bad fall. And he was in the hospital um, with some broken bones and other things. And he said the first person he remembers calling him was Trump. And uh, it just shows how these courtesies and, uh, you know, common decency with people and reaching out to them and staying in touch, uh, you know, that sort of personal touch um, that politicians like somebody like Charlie Crist is famous for or, or that a Bill Clinton or, or somebody is famous for. I mean, that can matter when it comes to these things like endorsements and you know, endorsements, uh, you know, obviously Trump didn't get a lot of endorsements when he was running in 2016. So you could certainly win without, you know, the endorsements of uh, establishment politicians, as, as Trump has shown. But, uh, you know, they do sort of help create a narrative of who's up and who's down. And and for DeSantis, I think that narrative goes a little bit further and, and raises more questions about his, um, you know, his personal political skills. DeSantis, in non-criticizing Trump up to now, has been emphasizing his record as as a governor, as, as in governing, that hey, I don't engage in drama, uh, I just get things done. And this neglect of South Florida this week really damage damages that brand, um, because here you had him up engaging in drama in D.C., getting no, getting I guess maybe one endorsement, but really coming back empty and and getting engaged in this this narrative that you just elaborated as opposed to being here, governing, getting things done. So I, like I said, I think this is a really bad week overall for the governor. Yeah, and it's really politics 101. If there's a crisis, uh, you gotta take care of that first. I mean, uh, you know, things like hurricanes in Florida, uh, DeSantis seemed to acknowledge that with Hurricane Ian. I mean, he was on the ground and, and just relentlessly uh, out there uh, in public uh, trying to deliver aid. Rick Scott, famously, Jeb Bush, Famously, with hurricanes just uh, out there early because they're realizing they're going to be judged on these disasters. And it seems like this um, flooding event in South Florida kind of caught DeSantis flat footed. Well, as Trump gains momentum in Florida, the law that prompted Disney's feud with DeSantis received an update from the legislature this week. Slammed by critics as the don't say gay law, the measure outlaws teaching about sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. The update to the law extended that prohibition through 12th grade, meaning even high school students won't be able to learn about LGBTQ issues. John, this bill has received a ton of pushback, but lawmakers are really doubling down here and expanding it. It does seem like last year's ban through third grade was was just a ruse, you know, a deceptive first step uh, backed by assurances that, you know, oh, this is all that we're looking to do. Uh, instead, uh, an outright ban on any discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in all school grades now looks like it's been the goal all along. Uh, you, you know, we've seen this before on issues. I mean, you know, last year's 15-week abortion law was approved, and now we have a six-week law. Uh, arming school teachers under the school guardian program wasn't included the first year of that program, but a year later they were. 
so I guess that says something about when opponents get amped up over whatever the legislative proposal is, uh, you know, sometimes it, you, you think, you know, the outrage may not, you know, match the uh, proposal. Um, you know, sometimes the proposal may even seem uh, sort of reasonable, but, uh, you know, the uh, opposition is uh, up in arms about it. Well, you know, Republicans last year, for example, were ridiculing Democrats and LGBTQ activists for what they said was a call for sexualizing young children if they opposed the parental rights bill through third grade, uh, or it also had a provision about what would be considered age appropriate. Now, the DeSantis administration, just a short year later, has come back to outlaw any discussion of gender or sexual orientation through 12th grade when kids are, you know, 17 or 18 years old. Okay, I mean, these kids are going to be aware of gay people, trans people. They're not, you know, nine-year-olds like third graders. But it, it really does seem to expose that much of this agenda is aimed at really erasing this LGBTQ population in some capacity, walling it off where you can't discuss the, their lives at all. And it's certainly uh, going to cause more confusion and divisiveness and rebellion in schools where it seems like we've been battling more over COVID masks and now banned books than uh, than anything to do with education, you know, probably making it more likely that fewer teachers will want to join the ranks of those who really are on the front lines of these culture wars. Yeah, it, it, and it seems like Republicans uh, in Florida felt like they got a lot of mileage out of this issue last year. It got a lot of publicity, and I, they, I think they think that this helped them with their base, uh, some of these social issues. But it, it, it like with the Disney issue, I wonder if there's a point where even some Republicans are like, well, you know, how how, how long are we going to talk about this? How much are, are we going to focus our time on this? Maybe they think it's a winning political issue right now. But at some point, um, you know, e even people who might support some of this might wonder if it's sort of piling on. Um, so I wonder, you know, if, if at what point they sort of jump the shark, even with their own base on some of this stuff. Uh, well, we'll go to some numbers here. Uh, Antonio, you want to talk about yours? Yeah, gentlemen, I had 49, as in 49%. And 49% is the, uh, the percentage of registered Florida Democratic voters who cast a ballot in last November's midterm election. Why is that meaningful? Because that is a terrible turnout. I mean, that's a pitiful turnout for the Democratic Party, well, Democratic, Florida Democratic Party. It's 12 percentage points lower than in the 2018 election. And what it says is that the reason uh, maybe that U.S. Senator Marco Rubio and, and Governor DeSantis and Florida Republicans in general won by such a massive landslide isn't really so much because their policies were so spectacularly popular, but because the Democratic Party rank and file just gave up. Or as Palm Beach Post reporter Chris Prasad, who wrote a story about the turnout, as he stated in that story, uh, he said, they surrender. It was almost like a mass surrender. And the ramifications are being felt far and wide in the state in a six week abortion ban and concealed weapons carrying without a permit and expansion, as you guys just talked about, of the, you know, you can't talk about sexuality in schools now up to grade 12. And, and all with a GOP supermajority in the legislature and backed by the narrative that DeSantis and the GOP were given this overwhelming mandate by Florida voters last November. Now, Chris's data crunching 
debunks some of that narrative. In fact, Chris found that GOP voter turnout of 64% last November was actually four percentage points lower than in 2018. Now look, even with a 2018-like voter turnout, the GOP may still have swept the elections owing to more voters and better organization and more money. And, and, and in 2018, even though the races were closer, you know, they still, the Republicans still outdueled the Democrats. But a 2018-like turnout by Democrats may not have changed who won, but it might have resulted in a far more narrow margin of victory and would have at least pushed back on that massive mandate narrative. Either way, it speaks to the challenge that new Democratic Party chair Nikki Fried and her team have. Not only do Democrats trail in voter registration and funding and candidate bench strength, uh, they have a rank and file that has seems to have kind of quit on them. So as bad as things look for Democrats on November 9th of last year, in hindsight, they, they look even worse, maybe. Yeah, the turnout's pretty important. I, I'm skeptical that, you know, Democrats could have gotten turnout to the point where they could have beat DeSantis. I think that he had a lot of things going for him in the last uh, election cycle. But if they had made the race a lot closer, it certainly would have kept Florida in play as a swing state. I think what they what the lack of turnout really did is it just caused everybody around the country to take Florida off the table and not really look at it as a swing state anymore. And that is really catastrophic for the Democratic Party going forward. They're not going to get yeah. uh, national help. Yeah. And even with the big turn on 2018, the, the GOP still won. They all won. But again, but you still looked at Florida as somewhat of a purple state. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty important uh, for the Democrats. This last election cycle it could really reverberate for a long time. John, you want to tell us about uh, your number? I do. Zach, uh, I came in with a one and one is the number is the percent one percent of bills that have been passed by the legislature so far this session we've only got two weeks left in the regular session in the middle of this week only 24 general bills out of 1673 that had been filed had been approved by both the house and senate uh, the governor had signed 15 and nine were still uh, not yet sent to him now, the overall number represents just over 1% of bills filed that have been passed. That's a, a pretty modest number that, of course, you know, is still subject to dramatic change with the last two weeks of session when a lot of legislative action gets finalized. But for a session that's been incredibly aggressive in terms of conservative and controversial policy, the 1% the level kind of surprised me. Um, you, you know, I, I, I wonder if Florida Republicans can now pride themselves on being one percenters. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, the term has had a couple of meanings over the years. Some see one percenters as the wealthiest of Americans, the very top of the heap who, yeah, yeah, usually get their way in this legislature. Uh, one percenters also remain a outlaw motorcycle club patch, a reference going back to the 1960s and a reference to how 99 percent of motorcycle riders were considered law abiding citizens. The 1%, of course, being the rest, the outlaws. Uh, I, I'm kind of dig digressing here and uh, <laughs> analyzing 1%, but, uh, but our lawmakers, not outlaws, have caused plenty of stir with some of the two dozen bills filed and approved so far. You know, you have a six-week abortion law, a permitless gun carry drawing plenty of attention and divide, and then there was 
to the somewhat drier but very contentious overhaul of the civil justice system, which is going to keep a lot of lawsuits and injured consumers out of the courtroom, uh, helping insurance companies everywhere. Uh, you know, one of the milder public policy bills and an ambitious affordable housing package sought by Senate President Kathleen Pasadoma, that was signed by the governor. But we'll still have more on the pile of bills when the legislature grinds to a halt on May 5th. Uh, it's still culture war season for DeSantis and the legislature's Republican rulers. So we're we're still likely going to see legislation banning gender-affirming care for minors. That's going to get finalized. New restrictions and criminal penalties tied to undocumented immigrants to Florida. And of course, as we spoke about, uh, you're going to see another slap by the governor at uh, the Walt Disney Company. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, check back here in a few weeks, and we'll we'll see where that today's one percent lands when the session is done. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to have a busy uh, couple of weeks here. Uh, lots of bills uh, still tied up uh, in the works for you to keep an eye on. Well, my number is 100, as in just 100 students are enrolled for New College of Florida's freshman class next year. Yep, DeSantis's experiment in conservative higher education reform is struggling to attract students, which maybe isn't surprising considering the school is in turmoil after the governor appointed six new board members who promptly fired the president, installed the DeSantis ally in her place, and then abolished the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. New College has about 700 students, which is actually very, very small already. And they had talked for years about trying to get the enrollment up. They'd, they'd like to be closer to around 1,200 students. But even if they just wanted to stay at 700, they would need to attract about 175 roughly uh, freshman students just to avoid shrinking. So 100 is um, you know, a little bit more than halfway there. But uh, the problem is, is that most students will decide where they plan to attend school by sometime in May. And many have already decided, probably the majority. So really, new college officials uh, just have a few more weeks to hit that break even figure. Uh, the college officials are scrambling to boost enrollment and avoid what would be a, an embarrassment for DeSantis, who's really made New College uh, that overhaul one of his signature moves in this so-called war on woke. It won't look good if he can't get any students to buy into his new vision for the school. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.